0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. Our text is our gospel text from Luke. What can we say of the power of God's Word? It is inherently powerful. Nothing needs to be added. We do not need some musical keyboard chords in the background to stir the hearer by stimulating emotions or setting a mood. And why is that? God's Word is God talking to you and me. In Isaiah 55.10, God spoke through the prophet about His Word. He said, It shall prosper in the thing for which it is sent. I imagine this was interesting to Isaiah because he had just been told also by God in chapter 6, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Problem. Why do some hear and believe and others hear and not believe? This question is easily asked as we look at the context of our gospel reading and the sower of the seed, that is, God sending the gospel. The seed, the gospel, is not deficient in any way. It does what God intends it to do. The problem is the ground it falls on, the ears and heart of the one hearing it proclaimed. Those described as the pathway have the word of God snatched away by the devil. Those described as rocky ground have faith for a short time, but it easily withers and dies. Those amongst thorns have their faith choked or suffocated slowly. The good soil adheres, holds fast to what is heard in an honest heart and good heart and produces good fruit, and that is faith in Christ. God sent Isaiah to a people that would not listen, And the same is true with the sending of His Son into the world to save it. Many will not listen, and that is not the fault of God or the Word that is Jesus Christ. It is God's desire that all would be saved, so He sows the gospel indiscriminately, arbitrarily, and in great excess. It makes one wonder if an actual farmer could even sow seed in the manner spoken of without going broke financially due to the waste of perfect and excellent seed. But God is an abundant giver, and he gave his Son to redeem all of mankind, not just a pre-selected few. His greatest desire is for all to be saved. So the word, the gospel, goes out to all who have ears to hear. But the Bible also teaches that God punishes unbelief with more unbelief. Look at the way Israel is subjected to God's wrath for their unfaithfulness, those lost in the wilderness for testing God versus trusting Him, and the captivities that they endure as a result of their not having faith in the one true God, but for their lust for worship of the gods of other peoples and lands. In these instances, it was God's law that ruled over them. He turned them over like a bad cropland so that a new crop could be planted. And the faithful remnant preserved in agriculture the ground does not care if it gets plowed i used to help a farmer john hensel plow fields between 106th street and 96th street just east of keystone and carmel when i was about 14 or 15 that would have been about 1945 not really about 1974 or 75, but he would plow with a big bottom plow that would dig 12 to 14 inches down and just roll the dirt over and turn it. And I and his son Paul would follow with tractors pulling 12-foot wide discs to go further break up the soil. Seemed innocent enough until one day his son and I were pulling a 12-foot chisel plow. This is basically a 12 by 12 box with 18 to 24 inch blades that just dig down into the earth and churn it all up. I was just riding along that day on the fender of an Oliver 1850 and came within a hair of falling off the fender of the tractor during a turn at one end of the field. But Paul grabbed me and I grabbed the fender's edge and we both must have been white as ghosts even with all the dirt and dust that was on us. What to that point seemed simple turning of earth took on a violent twist in the realization of what those blades would do to my body. God's law is like that plow, it is an alien work of the word, but it prepares the hearer for the salvific work of the gospel. It hurts, it cuts deep. It upsets what sin in us wants to see as good. Those with hard hearts, like a path, have no interest but hear the word of God almost in passing, and what they do hear is the law. That perfect seed is rejected because it does not feel good to the heart. It simply desires what it wants. The heart is like a three-year-old child. It hates the law and rejects it. To a three-year-old, that which is good makes you feel good, and that which is bad makes you feel bad. Ice cream and cake is good. Broccoli is bad. Puppies that don't bite are good. Doctor visits and shots are bad. A hug is good. A sharp crack on the backside for running away from mom or dad in a parking lot is bad. In truth, these bad things are really good and are there to protect. A three-year-old, like sinful nature, does not like to hear any law. It wants what it wants and enjoys, and that is that. It plugs its ears, stomps its feet, and refuses to hear. And the seed is snatched away or destroyed by the devil. Their heart is hard, like a road, unyielding to a seed, no matter how perfect, and God's word is perfect like corn seed that falls off a planter onto a road it will be either crushed underfoot or under tire and rendered unidentifiable false doctrine and the church will do this or eaten by some bird or animal but it will not germinate grow and produce a crop or fruit the result is total disbelief the seed that lands on the rock germinates into faith even robustly but it has no deep root or foundation And it falters quickly when it is realized that it comes with a cross. It was supposed to be free bread and fish for life. A better, if not best life now, a kingdom of glory. But when it does not materialize or worse, there is suffering because of faith. Things like trouble and tension with unbelieving family members or a spouse or persecution in one's faith extends too far into public life or business. When it means a loss, they cut bait and run, having no deep faith to cling to for support. The seed that lands on some soil but comes up with the thorns or thistle, theirs is true faith, but it is slowly snuffed out by cares and trials that otherwise would test and refine their faith. Instead, things like illness, poor finances, nagging temptation, and sin give way to the devil's question. Did God really say? Did he really promise to be with you always? Why are you suffering? Why are you struggling? He really doesn't care, does he? And the devil's lies slowly choke, or a better word is smother one's faith. This is because that three-year-old, like sinful nature, that old Adam, is still lurking around, and what feels good is seen as good, and what feels bad is seen as bad, and if what I'm going through feels bad, God must not care or be near, and the sin of doubt and fear smother faith in a slow death. The law is God's tool that breaks the ground, that is the ground of our hearts, And tells tells the three-year-old in us, no, listen, I am your heavenly father, and my word is true. But the culture we live in cultivates the three-year-old mentality in us. It loves to ask the devil's questions for him. Did God really say? Did God really say abortion is wrong? I mean, really? How will you care for that child? It's better off if it's never born or is born and left to die comfortably, of course. Did God really say you have to look out for your neighbor and his best interest? I know this old car is only worth about zero, but Marcus needs one for his son, and I could use a cool grand. Did God really say a man should not marry a man or a woman a woman? He said to love one another, right? And you do love each other, right? Did God really say a man and a woman shouldn't live together without being married, especially when it's inconvenient? Come on, if we get married at our age, we'll lose Social Security benefits and pension benefits. It would be terrible financially. All the kids are out of the house anyway, and on their own, no one cares. And the grandkids, well... They assume we do these things and sin against God and our neighbor because our sinful desires and rarely, because of our sinful desires, and rarely will anyone look at us with their face askew and say, what are you doing? Instead, we hear, ooh, you're shrewd, you're thoughtful, you're loving, you care about people and children. Our culture willingly and sinfully gives the stamp of approval to all manner of sinful behavior, and it shouts down the law as God works it to prepare and cultivate the hard ground of sinners' hearts. That's not sin. I'm not hurting anyone. Everyone is doing it. Besides, the IRS won't figure it out anyway. I wouldn't bet on that last one. Only problem is, God knows, and he hates sin in the lives of his children, any sin in his children, you, I, all those he has created. He hates it so much that at times he allows us to wallow in our messy three-year-old dirty diaper mess of a life until we cry out in our pain, Lord, God, help save me. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. It is then that the preparation of the law has been heard, it's done its work and brought believers to repentance. It is then we see that Jesus had to take all the wrath for us. Jesus is the sinner's friend, the sinner's Savior. We must cry out and know that we are helpless before God, and that is where we see the salvific work of Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, who came into into the world to set it right to be despised and hated for us. It is God's law that breaks us and makes us good soil where his perfect seed of the gospel of Christ can take hold and grow, creating a faith that changes our sinful desires into desires for the things of God, desires for his word and fellowship with him. It is only after we have been broken by the law that we can love the law, knowing Jesus has kept it perfectly for us. It is for his sake we desire to try and change and follow him, knowing we will have to endure crosses. We endure crosses because in this sinful body, we know we can never be perfect, and we suffer the cross as we try, fail, repent, and are forgiven as we remember that we are baptized children of God. We suffer as we see and know what is right and true according to God, only to see it not happening around us. And in us. We suffer when we speak out against sin, but be it in our children, who, when confronted for bad behavior, tell us they hate us, like a three year old will do. We sometimes suffer in our vocations when we speak the truth, the truth of God's Word, to situations where sin might be ruling in the form of cheating our neighbor or associates due to corruption. We suffer as we long to see those around us who are living the life of the hardened path, rocky or thorny places, having faith versus seeing it fail or simply not be there at all. The greatest joy in heaven is when a sinner repents of sin, and that's faith in Christ for forgiveness. This is only possible by the power and the working of God's Word and nothing else to break up the hard path, the rocky places and clear the choking thorn so faith can grow in good ground but it is god's work in our baptism if we remember it we remember that god's work has given us his holy spirit to protect us like a wall around a good plot of land so the devil can have no power over us and take eternal life in god's name from us and then like a good farmer god's work manages the seed of faith that grows He nourishes it with his word and his sacrament and still prunes it with his law to keep it good for a harvest. We grow under God's work and care for us through the gifts he gives, word, sacrament, forgiveness when we repent of our sins. He sanctifies us, makes us holy until eternity for the sake of his son's suffering and death. Give thanks to God. And he created us with ears to hear his truth and love in both the law and the gospel of Christ for the salvation of our souls. Amen.